welcome to another episode of the Cycling Ramble with me, Ollie Baisley. Today, I am sadly not joined by my co-host, Alan Bailey. Um, Alan's got an awful lot on at the moment. We weren't able to match up our schedules. And so you're just left with me and we're going to have a discussion about some of the races coming up this week because they're really fascinating and I think they're going to turn out to be brilliantly. But first of all, one of the really important and interesting races that happens this year is the Dubai Tour. And then that leads into the Abu Dhabi Tour. Last year, not both of them went ahead, but it's great to see that they're both back to back this year. And it also makes sense having kind of that Middle Eastern block um, at the same point in the calendar. And we also have the Tour of Oman go on at the moment. In my opinion, again, it's silly that there are so many races on at the moment. I'd like to see them a bit more spread out week per week um, because it's really hard focusing on two different stage races at the same time. But you know, that problem has been presented in the calendar an awful lot over the years. And it's something that the UCI under Brian Cookson could never quite figure out. And that's a challenge for the new president, uh, David Lepartien, um, one which I think is vital for cycling's uh, better TV revenue because you don't want a TV audience split over two races. You can't be as involved in two races as you are in one. The interest doesn't translate like that. So... Let's discuss the Dubai Tour, what happened, who won. Um, despite, you know, writing him off quite a lot, not really saying that I think he was a top sprinter, um, Elio Viviani won the race in pretty impressive fashion. He won two stages along the way and took the overall. Um, there was a bit of an uphill um, finish, uh, kind of a sprint finish. So the riders who won on those days were really, you know, the Magnus Courts of the world who were good up a little climb. Um, but Elia was pretty impressive, and I think that's a really good sign heading into uh, Milan San Remo later on in the year. Um, I've always had him down previously as a sprinter who wasn't very good at climbing. Um, so, you know, I think he's showing great form early in the season. Um, I'd be slightly apprehensive, you know, to tip into some of the bigger races because I still, you know, fundamentally believe from what we've seen over the course of his career that there are better sprinters. But um, it's great for him that he's doing so well. And again, quick step floors, just always find a way to win, no matter which rider, no matter which race. It was very impressive. So Elliot took a couple of stages. Cav grabbed one as well, an impressive bunch sprint um, and have Nasser Buhani. Um, Nasser Buhani at Confidus is an interesting situation. Um, I've always found that he'd be you know, better off at a quick step, better off at a big team because he definitely has that tone of speed. He, doesn't, he definitely doesn't have the temperament. But uh, it's in- interesting how his career's played out and how he keeps on signing for confidence rather than maybe exploring to what I would expect him to achieve is maybe better things. But he finished second. He didn't quite get his uh, stage win. But Cavendish beating Kittle, um, you know, especially on stage three when Kittle finished third, that's a really important confidence boost to Cav. And uh, I think Kittle will be going into the Abu Dhabi tour this week um, pretty motivated to at least get one win under the new Katusha out of it. You know, there's lots of riders being transferring over this season. Um, and Dalsit, who used to be at Movistar, um, he's said that he reckons he can be a really important part of that Katusha lead-out train. But I think what I read from one of that stories, which appeared on Cycling News, was that I don't think Katusha know exactly where they want to be. And if they're still figuring out, you know, I could be an important part that means it's probably not set yet. And going into the season, you know, these are the races where you figure those sort of things out. But 
I'd be slightly worried for the fact that other teams have those already figured out. And so you're at a disadvantage there. So Kittle's got a bit of work to do there. But again, like we said last week, these aren't the most significant races and they don't always paint the exact picture of how it's going to turn out later in the season. But nevertheless, I thought the Dubai Tour was an interesting race. Um, it's a difficult one to really attract the fans because they don't always get the biggest crowds. They're at a kind of bizarre time of the year, but for cycling fans, it's great that there's racing so early and also such competitive racing because for some riders, wins at these sorts of races is kind of their season targets. They aim to win these short one-week stage races. And you know, as races get more prestigious, the you know the really elite, the top five riders in the world tend to, you know, take all of them or you know keep them to themselves so this is a great opportunity for riders to separate themselves to develop to learn and to win so that was an interesting race and obviously the Dubai tour kind of fed into the tour of a man and there's also the Abu Dhabi tour starting very soon as well um tour of a man I think started yesterday or the day before and Brian Kokar who we spoke about last week he's a sprinter that I believe in an awful lot I think he's fundamentally really good on his day and I just don't believe he has the support to prove that and he did really well he won the opening stage ahead of Cavendish Cavendish is on really good form I think um, especially for the Cavendish of 2018 um, to be really up there in his season you don't always see that in uh, I think 2016 it was when Cav uh, won all those stages in the Tour de France those four stages he wasn't winning early in the season or he won very little uh, in the early season. So I think it's a great sign that he's already uh, on his way back from what was a pretty disappointing season last year. So the main topic of this week's podcast is going to be the upcoming stage races in the Vuelta al Algarve and the Ruta del Sol. The Ruta del Sol, to be perfectly honest, has grabbed all the headlines, and that's because Chris Froome's riding it this week. So we're going to start with that, but trust me, we will get on to the Vuelta al Algarve because that has some really interesting battles, especially between Garrett Thomas and Richie Port, um, as well as others. So the Ruta del Sol is kind of happening this week. It's yet to start, and... Although Chris Foom is really dominating it, I think an interesting story so far is that Mikhail Lander is leading the race for Movistar. And there's only seven-man teams, so there's not a huge roster, but the teams are incredibly competitive. Movistar have some real A-listers in there. Um, the likes of Daniel Bernati is going to play an important part, as well as... Um, Emmanuel Vitti, who's a great rider as well. So, And Ruben Fernandez, the previous... Uh, he won the Tour of L'Avenir several years ago. He's one of the Tour of L'Avenir winners who hasn't ever quite lived up to the expectation, but he's still an incredible rider who I just think he's on the edge of breaking through. And I think it, when he gets his opportunity, like we've seen when he's, he's done incredibly well on some stages of the Tour of Spain, but I think when he gets his opportunity, he will make that next step. So Lander versus Froome is really the headline of this event. And... How it's going to go is interesting. Froome's ridden the race before. Alejandro Valverde isn't here this year, and he's won the race five times. And last year, um, you know, Valverde was prolific in the spring. So how is that going to play out with a different team? It's interesting because Mikel Lander said in an interview this week that he is really targeting the race and wants to come out and make a point. And, you know, in previous years, I would have come out and told you that I thought that was absolute nonsense, that he won't do very well. Like, Mikhail Landers never done particularly well 
uh, in the really early uh, one week stage races normally or in previous years when he's done well he's built his form towards the Giro and maybe just well in the Tour of the Alps but not necessarily otherwise but I think because he has so much to prove this year at Movistar because so many you know leadership decisions are going to have to be made very soon on who who's going to be the leader for the Tour de France I think Lander has to do like Chris Froome did in 2013 and really start winning on a serial basis Chris Froome in 2013 um although it might have been decided internally, there was still maybe room for Wiggins to negotiate getting that tall leadership again. But Chris Froome started winning and in such dominant fashion every single stage race that he entered that it was really difficult, um, especially off the back of the 2012 Tour de France performance for anything other than Chris Froome going to the Tour as the sole leader. Ultimately, Brad went to the word Giro, didn't do very well, threw his toys out the pram, and then wasn't was apparently injured uh, for the 2013 tour so it didn't really matter anyway um but i think that's what lander's got to do he's got to go and set a tone of look i am one of the best riders in the world which he's proven at the previous tour de france's and really claim that leadership spot so the race is really set up brilliantly i've probably say there's a slightly better field at the vuelta algarve you know slightly more of the regular a-listers the Richie Ports the Mikhail Kwiatkowskis some of those riders who are perfect and notorious for their one week stage race wins but I think we're going to be up for a really interesting showdown Team Sky brought an awful great team to support uh, awfully great team pardon me that's a terrible English to support Chris Froome David De La Cruz coming over from Quick Step it's his first kind of proper um, supporting role for <laughs> Chris Froome which he's probably going to have to get used to um, but the likes of Wout Powell Salvatore Puccio and Dylan Van Baal are big name riders who are going to be supporting Chris Froome whether in the Giro or the Tour this year so they're kind of starting to get that squad around Froome who I think will go to the Giro because if you look at the team David De La Cruz Philip Dybling Christian Knees Wout Powell Salvatore Puccio and Dylan Van Baal that is probably you know a large proportion of the team that's going to end up at, on the start line of the Giro in May. So stay tuned for that and have a look at, and while you're watching the race, how they're working together and if everything's going well and also how those guys perform because it's going to affect their selection later in the season for sure. Kind of going down some of the other ones, uh, Stephen Kreisvik is an interesting rider for Lotto and Jumbo. My heart still breaks every time I think about Stephen because of that Giro loss. He really did lose Giro when he was in the pink jersey back in, what was it, 2016? And so he's never in my set the world alight in one-week stage races, but it's interesting depending on which Chris Froome and which Mikel Lander turn up. I think it's going to be really interesting to see because the race is potentially open for a rider of his calibre to really take it. I think, to be perfectly honest, if Chris Froome or Mikel Lander turn up on sintering form, then Stephen Krozvik's going to struggle. But we've seen in previous years that Chris Froome isn't always up for winning or sometimes uses one-week stage races as training. So we'll have to see how he does this year and what form he comes into. And that's part of the excitement of these races and, and of anything in cycling. You never quite know the form of a rider. So there's always a huge amount of unknown about what's going to happen. Ryan Tamarame is riding for Direct Energy and 
he moved there, I think, two seasons ago. And I expect him to get a much more leadership role. And it'll be interesting to see if he goes for the GC or for stages. I think if he goes for a breakaway, he's, you know, one of those favourites to grab a, you know, a break, which is let go up on a mountain day. But nevertheless, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. And to be perfectly honest, that is almost the highlight. The Ruta del Sol is a much smaller race than the Vuelta del Garf, which we're going to talk about in a second. And I think it's interesting that Chris Froome's gone to the Ruta del Sol over the Vuelta del Garf. I have a personal opinion on this. It's not backed up by any facts. It's purely speculation. It's that I think Chris Froome is up for a getting some confidence in his, getting some wind in his sails. And I think, you know, if he, you know, as you don't want, as we've, I think we've seen over the last couple of years, really in the, in the clean era of cycling, how's the best way to prepare for a Grand Tour? And I think winning every single one-week stage race beforehand isn't necessarily the best way. Um, so I think Chris Froome could either be in great form or not. Um, but if he may be slightly off his best, he still wants to perform well because otherwise, if he performs badly, especially at the moment, and doesn't win the race or doesn't finish really at the top he's going to get pressure from media, from fans, from everybody saying, oh, the case is really affecting his performance. And I think those things, as an athlete, is something you wouldn't want because it would really confound the, you know, it build on each other and it'd make it even more of a difficult time. So I think that Chris Froome maybe just wanted maybe a bit more of a guarantee or maybe he liked the route more. Um, There is a 14.1 kilometre time trial, which is really going to suit his skills. So it's really difficult not expecting him to be the favourite for this race, but it's going to be a fascinating battle between him and Mikhail Lander because that's what we're expecting at the Tour, especially later in the season. So moving over to the Vuelta Algarve, how do we see this one going down? First of all, let's talk about who's going to be there. So I think as a lot of people are pitching, the favourite is BMC's Richie Port. He had a very good uh, you know, tore down under, finished second, but one up, one on the hill, as he traditionally does. And I think Richie is a rider who definitely needs confidence. Chris Froome is the you know the rider he is because of his stern and resolute belief in himself. I think Richie is a rider who needs a bit more confidence. And although he definitely has the leadership in BMC, he doesn't have to fight TJ Van Garden for that anymore. Winning these one-week stage races is very important for him, so I expect him to be in brilliant form, really bringing it. He'll be up against Garrett Thomas, who's really going for his GC this year because, especially with the Chris Froome case and the Giro Tour double, this is his opportunity to go to the Tour de France as the leader of Team Sky, which historically is a very good position to be if you want to try and win the race or podium. So Garrett Thomas really has to, I think, set off well. He says that he's doing Paris-Roubaix this year, which, in my opinion is silly because Garrett Thomas knows how to ride on the cobbles. There's a lot of cobbles in this year's Tour de France. So riders like Nibali or um, even Quintana or Orlando who maybe want to get more experience on that or, you know, get a better feel for that would make a lot of sense. But Garrett Thomas has won cobble classics. So he doesn't need to be proving himself on the cobbles. And although he might see it as a race that he could potentially win, there's also a lot of risks involved in terms of injury and, you know, setback if he crashes. So... I found that's an interesting decision of him choosing to go to Paris-Roubaix and to target that race in the spring. Maybe he's seen that that's worked in the past. He did very well on certain Tour de France's. Uh, I think it was 2015 when he had a great classics and then went to the Tour and just missed out on a really high GC finish when he kind of tailed away at the end of the race. But I think that's partly because he did so much work for Chris Froome. So, yeah, it's going to be interesting. I think 
we're going to have to see how it works out but I still think Richie Port is a favourite some other notable mentions um, there's some very good riders here you know Philippe Gilbert Daniel Martin from UAE on his debut debut it might be his debut for UAE Team Emirates which is a bit of a mouthful uh, but Dan Martin is interesting he, you never quite know what you're going to get from him um, I've put him in certain boxes before and thought okay he's not a really he's not a real real top GC rider but he's smashed those expectations and those boundaries that I previously thought he had and so he's an exciting rider um, there's basically all there are 13 world tour teams and how the world tour works nowadays for those who don't know is uh, teams can choose to attend world tour events um, so not all I think 18 world tour teams have to be there so some of the other teams are pro-continental teams such as Kaharuhau and Kofidis and as we see the route is really interesting there's a lot for the sprinters as we see the likes of Bosenhagen Groenewegen Degenkolb and Ben Swift all you know, trying to go there and play a part and grab a stage and you know prepare for the classics which are rapidly approaching um for those who don't know the classics start in a matter of weeks um the opening of the classics is omelette het newsblad um which is probably one of ian stannard's favorite races but it's really where it kind of starts to really build you get a race every single weekend and it's really about tuning up your form and practicing those lead outs and kind of a bit like you do in any other sport training and preparing yourself for the competitions which you're really targeting so those riders in particular will be really important this week to get the most out of it and really come away from the week with both confidence but if not anything having learned something and also in full health that's a really important thing in cycling we always want to see riders at the best of their abilities all the time and not be in positions where they are injured illness because we want to see the best versus the best we don't want to see oh that one top rider is missing so would he have won if he was there that's never a question you really want to ask yourself so it's the 44th edition of the race and it mirrors the 2017 parkour um which i think was pretty good it was relatively balanced um the opening couple of days the opening day at least is a sprinter stage but then straight away on stage two the gc kicks in so for some of the riders who maybe like more of a steady start um that is probably slightly worry i'd say in my opinion um the better grand tour riders uh rather than the classic riders so the riders who do better on the one day stage races so your dan martin it suits him better having a um gc race right at the start of the week because he's used to being able to perform and doesn't rely as much on his performance on recoveries. Whereas I'd say Richie Poor is one of the best riders in the world at recovering um, after really tough days, and he gets better as the week goes on. So we'll have to see that how that works. But an interesting one which undoubtedly favours uh, Richie Poor is on stage three. There's a 20-kilometre point three time trial, and it's a pretty flat ride. And although as soon as you hear flat time trial, you think that's not Richie Port's cup of tea. He's done very well on flat time trials in the past. And I think he'll inevitably put time into the likes of Dan Martin. But that time trial really suits Mikhail Kwiatkowski, especially. He did very well at the Tour de France time trial last year, if you remember, and also Garrett Thomas. I think both of those guys will do well. And 
they'll have to kind of come out of the race really firing. But anyway, it's going to be a fascinating spectacle. So definitely look forward to that and tune into that race. And uh, yeah, to kind of keep track of it, I always find that these sort of races, you can kind of take them for what they're worth. It's difficult to be able to look at a race this early in the season and say, okay, that guy, you know, Ella Viviani won that race, so he's going to win Milan San Remo. But I always try and look at it in terms of, it's incredible what these guys do. I went for a cycle ride at this weekend and I reminded myself how tough cycling is. Um, these guys are really the best athletes in the world. And it's remarkable how even for such long periods in the season, you know, they race. Some some of the riders in the peloton, especially in the World Tour, race for over 100 days of the year. So that's every three days. And that's not including all the training they have to do. And... I think some people, especially myself, I'm definitely guilty of this. We sometimes forget how hard the sport is and the sacrifices in the life they have to make because you, you kind of get, you know, caught up in the the in the sport of cycling and the romance of it and how exciting it is. And I tell you what, we're in for a, such a fascinating season. Um, I don't think I've really can remember a season in recent memory which had so many moving parts both in terms of you know Chris Froome going for the Giro Tour double who really is the best Grand Tour rider of his generation can it actually be done um, you know whereas John Degenkolb some of the other riders like Gregor Van Avermaet who's the best classic rider who's going to emerge in this generation um, Chris Froome's case getting sorted out which seems to be progressing Chris Froome posted on uh, social media saying that he's doing his best to get it done very quickly which I thought was a very significant thing to say and also put out there I think Chris Froome knows and he clearly pays attention to what the public and the fans of the sport are feeding and if you read any of the comments on any Chris Froome's social pages you'll notice that although that they're split there's definitely some fans there a lot of people just want this over and done with and so him addressing it I think is a good step and I think it's a big contrast to maybe what happened last year and then previous years with other cases where people kind of just leave it and there's a lot of not knowing. If you address it and you come out and a bit more openness, I think that's good. Another article which I absolutely insist you must read is the story of the ex-Team Sky uh, doctor who's given an exclusive interview to Cycling News. I don't want to butch his name, but I believe it's... Bart Bartielli. Um, I might be wrong on that, so you know, don't quote my pronunciation. Um, but he spoke a lot about his time at Team Sky. He spent two years there from twenty, uh, I think twenty eleven to twenty twelve, uh, twenty eleven to twenty thirteen, or somewhere in that region. Um, so quite quite a few years back. And although you can take different things out from the article I put on social media, that I thought it was an interesting article which left me feeling more confident in Team Sky um, other people had the opposite reaction so it's definitely worth a read it's interesting that he's come out to address some of the whistleblower allegations which are against him um, but the story as a whole I think tells you more about what was kind of going on in that era how Team Sky keep their medical records and how it works internally which is really what I think a lot of people want to know I think it'd be much better for Team Sky if they come and said, look, and then released everything and said, this is exactly how we do it on every single case and how we work. Team Sky don't really want to give away their secrets. But 
I think openness is always good. And whenever you can find out some more information about something, uh, it's fascinating. And that article definitely provides that. So yeah, it's been an interesting week in the world of cycling. It's really getting going. The season is fully on the way and I cannot wait. It's going to be an incredible roller coaster this season. And although we didn't do it, I'm going to make some predictions for this week's uh, stage races. I don't believe we did it last week. So the Ruta del Sol, I think it's really difficult to look past Chris Froome. He has a lot to prove and a lot of pressure on him. And whenever Chris Froome has a lot of pressure, he delivers. Or at least, you know, is very close to the top step of the podium. So I think that he'll do very well. I think Mikhail Ander will give him a great fight and they'll be first or second. It's not really giving too much away there. But the Vuelta uh, Algarve, I think that's going to be an interesting one. And I'm going to say, I don't think there'll be an upset. I think a someone, someone of the likes of Mikhail Kwiatkowski or Dan Martin will pull off the win instead of maybe the favourite Richie Port. And I think it'd be interesting to see how that works. But Richie's really got to go out early and try and gain time, especially compared to some of the other people who might be better in a shorter and flatter time trial. So there's a lot of racing coming up this week and we will be back next week with a joined up episode with me and Adam, hopefully, fingers crossed, if we can get our schedules joined up and uh, working together. So thank you for bearing with us. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. As usual, if you're listening on iTunes or wherever you're listening, please subscribe. Um, Feel free to rate us on iTunes and get involved in the conversation on social media. Um, You can find us at Cycling Ramble on pretty much most social media, especially Twitter. We're very active there. So we'll look forward to hearing from you. And thank you very much for listening. Thank you.